Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Philip Goff will join us to discuss the Galileo's error. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, consciousness is fundamental to everything that we are, but what exactly is it? Despite decades of scientific investigation, little progress has been made. Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Philip Goff. Dr. Goff is the author of the new book, Galileo's Error, Foundations for a New Science of Consciousness. He is a lecturer at Durham University and the author of Consciousness and Fundamental Reality and has published more than 40 academic papers on topic. Again, his new book entitled Galileo's Error. And Dr. Goff, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Well, fascinating topic. Why did you decide to write the book? I guess there's a couple of reasons. One is to do with the problem of consciousness itself. You know, although it's generally accepted now that consciousness poses a profound challenge to contemporary science, you know, despite our great progress in understanding of the brain, we still don't have really even the beginnings of an explanation of how complex electrochemical signaling is somehow able to give rise to the inner subjective world of colors and sounds and smells and tastes that each of us knows from our own case. So this problem is now taken very seriously. You know, it's what David Chalmers called the hard problem of consciousness. But I think many people still think, oh, it's, you know, it's just another scientific problem. We just need to carry on doing more neuroscience and, and we'll eventually crack it. But I think it's a bit deeper than that. What I wanted to get at was the philosophical underpinnings of the problem and, and how it actually, in my view, traces back to the, found, the foundations of the scientific revolution. I actually think you know, Galileo kicks off the scientific revolution by taking consciousness out of the domain of science. And, and this is really why we have a problem of consciousness in the first place. So that was part of it, getting more at the philosophical underpinnings of this problem. But the second reason, moving to the, what I defend as the solution to the problem, is a form of the ancient view known as panpsychism, which is a view that was sort of laughed about insofar as it was thought about at all until very recently. But there's been a, a recent return of interest to, to this view, and it's been causing a lot of excitement in academic philosophy, people taking it very seriously. So I suppose I wanted to get those ideas out to a broader audience. You know, everything's so specialized these days. So even though an idea can be causing a lot of excitement in one area of academia, it doesn't mean it's, it's getting out to, to scientists or to the general public. So that's really what I'm trying to do, do with the book, trying to get these cutting edge ideas out to a broader audience. Well, before we get to the potential solution, let's go back then and see how is this problem created in the first place? Yeah, so a key moment in the scientific revolution is Galileo's declaration that mathematics is to be the language of the new science. The new science is to have purely quantitative vocabulary. But, but Galileo understood quite well, actually, that 
you can't capture consciousness in these terms. And that's just because consciousness is an essentially qualitative phenomenon, just, just in the sense that it involves qualities. If you think about the redness of a red experience or the smell of coffee or the taste of mint, you can't capture these qualities in the purely quantitative vocabulary of mathematics. So Galileo said, right, what we need to do is take, take consciousness outside of the domain of science. Once we've done that, we can capture everything else in mathematics. So, this, so by doing this, he kicks off mathematical physics, which has gone incredibly well. But I think you know, we've perhaps forgotten that this was never intended as a complete description of reality. The whole project was premised on setting consciousness outside of the domain of science. So I think this is important. As I said, you know, many people take this problem of consciousness very seriously. But, you know, we just need to do more neuroscience and we'll get there. And, you know, I think the reason they think this, understandably, is, you know, they look at the great success of physical science and, you know, explaining more and more of our universe. And they think, yeah, this should give us confidence that it'll one day crack the mystery of consciousness. But I think this, this, this view is rooted in a kind of misunderstanding of the history of science. Yes, physical science has been so successful, but it's been so successful precisely because it was never designed to deal with consciousness. It was designed to exclude consciousness. So, you know, if Galileo were to time travel to the present day and hear about this problem of explaining consciousness in the terms of physical science, he'd say, you know, of course you can't do that. I designed physical science to deal with the quantitative, not the qualitative. You know, it's done very well at dealing with the quantitative features of matter, mathematical features of matter, but it was never intended to deal with the quality involving reality of consciousness. If you hadn't set it off on a different track, then perhaps it might have been integrated to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, although the book's called Galileo's Error, I don't want to do Galileo down too much. He did an incredible job, known as the father of modern science, because he really shaped the philosophical foundations for a project that's gone incredibly well, you know, and so successful and the technology it's produced is probably beyond his wildest dreams. But I think we've sort of forgotten that it was only intended for a quite specific task, roughly constructing mathematical models to predict the behavior of matter. Now that's gone really well and I'm very grateful that Galileo set that up. It's gone fantastically well, but it wasn't designed to capture everything. And I don't think that that quantitative method wasn't designed to and can never fully capture the qualitative reality of consciousness. So th there was a, a problem there, but overall, he did a great job, I think. So you mentioned at the outset that there's the hard problem of consciousness, uh, as opposed to the softer problem of consciousness is just what is the states that could give rise to consciousness. And in a way, the scientific approach is rooted in these quantitative aspects, not addressing the hard problem, but more the soft problem. Yeah, I mean, physical science is absolutely crucial. You know, neuroscience is absolutely crucial to a theory of consciousness. You know, I think we need to realize what it can give us and what it can't. Essentially, in my view, what neuroscience gives us are correlations between brain activity and conscious experiences or feelings. So, you know, you can scan someone's brain and you can ask them how they're thinking and feeling and you can you know, discover that a certain kind of activity in the hypothalamus or something corresponds to a feeling of hunger. You know, whenever people have this kind of activity in this region of the brain, they get this such and such feeling. So that's really important information that any theory of consciousness has to take seriously. But that in itself 
is not a complete theory of consciousness. What we ultimately want from a theory of consciousness is an explanation of those correlations. You know, why is it when you have a certain kind of activity in, in that region of the brain, you get this, this kind of experience? That's what we ultimately want from a theory of consciousness. So I don't think just doing more neuroscience, crucial as it is, can quite get us there. You know, they, we need ultimately to move beyond the correlations and, and build, a, build some kind of theory. Ultimately, we want to know, you know, what's going on in reality to explain those correlations. And, you know, to perhaps make that clear, you can just think about the different theories. So what's still probably the most popular view, materialism, says, well, the conscious state and the brain state are just one and the same thing. They're identical. The profound problem for that view is, is what, what I said earlier. You know, no one's able to, explain, to, to bridge that gap between the purely quantitative properties we get from neuroscience and the qualitative reality of consciousness. You know, no, no one's ever really been able to bridge that gap. You know, another theory is the dualist theory of someone like David Chalmers. He thinks that there are special, as well as the laws of physics, he, Chalmers thinks if there was just the laws of physics, you wouldn't have consciousness. But there are also these special psychophysical laws of nature, you know, as fundamental as the law of physics. And because those laws are in place, when you have certain kind of brain activity, that consciousness sort of arises from that because of these special extra laws of nature. So that's a very different theory. The panpsychist theory I would offer is different again. So, so once we look at these different philosophical theories, you know, some people think materialism is supported by science and these other theories are just wild philosophical speculation. But actually, the neuroscience is neutral on all these views. The neuroscience doesn't give us a theory at all. It just gives us correlations. And then we have to say, you know, what's going on in reality to explain this, these correlations? And that there's this, the standard materialist account that they're somehow explained in terms of the chemistry of the brain or something is it, just one option. And we need to look at the merits of, of, all, those, of all those theories in their own right. So as I said, you know, the, the key problem with the standard materialist view, roughly that we can explain consciousness in terms of the chemistry of the brain, is this, this no one's been able to bridge the gap between the quantitative and the qualitative. So I think it can give us more explanatory power, and it's just as fitting with the science to move to sort of other alternative possibilities. Again, in your book, you offer panpsychism. What is it? Why is it creating so much excitement? And how does it give us a way of addressing consciousness? Yeah, so I guess, I mean, you know, the standard scientific view is that consciousness exists only in the brains of highly evolved organisms. And, and so consciousness only exists in a tiny part of the universe and only in very recent history, cosmically speaking. But the panpsychist, in contrast, believes that consciousness pervades the universe and is as fundamental as mass or charge. So it sounds kind of crazy, but I think more and more philosophers and even some neuroscientists are starting to think this might be our best way of bringing together what we know about the physical world empirically and what we know about consciousness from the inside, as it were. The, the starting point of the panpsychist is that, and this is very important, I think, is that physics or physical science doesn't really tell us what matter is. And this seems like a kind of bizarre claim. You know, you read a physics textbook, you seem to find out all these incredible things about the nature of space and time and matter. But, you know, what philosophers of science have realized recently is that for all its richness, it's, it's confined to telling us about the behavior of matter, about what it does. 
So physics tells us, for example, that matter has mass and charge. These are completely defined in terms of behavior. You know, charge is, is a matter of attraction and repulsion. Mass is defined in terms of gravitational attraction and resistance to acceleration. This is all about behavior. Physics has nothing to say about what philosophers like to call the intrinsic nature of matter, matter how it is in and of itself, independently of its behavior. So it turns out there's actually this huge hole in our scientific story of the world. The proposal of the panpsychist is to put consciousness in that hole. You know, so we're looking for a place for consciousness in our scientific story. We've got this huge hole. Let's put consciousness in the hole. So, so the idea is there's just matter. You know, this is nothing spiritual, nothing supernatural. But matter can be described from two perspectives. Physical science describes its behavior, describes it, as it were, from the outside in terms of its behavior, whereas matter from the inside, that is to say matter in terms of its intrinsic nature, is constituted of forms of consciousness. So it's a beautifully simple, elegant way of bringing, integrating consciousness into our scientific story. And, I mean, it's really, this is a rediscovery of some very important work from the 1920s by the philosopher Bertrand Russell and scientist Arthur Eddington, who's incidentally the first scientist to confirm Einstein's theory of general relativity. It got forgotten about for a long time, and it's recently been you know, rediscovered, and it's, it's causing a, a lot of excitement. So, as I like to put it, in the 1620s, Galileo separated out the qualitative and the quantitative. In the 1920s, Russell and Eddington finally found a way of bringing them back together. So I think this, this leads the foundations for a new way of thinking about the science of consciousness that can, uh, can, can bring together what we know from the inside and what we know from the outside in a single unified picture of reality. So supposing this is a solution, how will it then inform us about the hard problem of consciousness? Sure. What we ultimately need, this is a general approach. It's very schematic. What we really need are philosophers and scientists to come together to fill in the foundations. And in fact, as I described in the book, we're already finding this happening. So the, for example, the philosopher um, Hedda Hassel-Nurk from the University of Oslo has spent a year at the lab of Giulio Tononi, the founder of the Integrated Information Theory of Consciousness, working out that theory in this kind of Russell Eddington panpsychist framework, or the philosopher Luke Roloffs has been working, looking at uh, split brain patients, people who've had, you know, corpus callosum in the center of their brain severed that unifies the two hemispheres of the brain, the rather radical treatment for epilepsy, which leads to a kind of bizarre fragmentation of consciousness. He's been exploring this in, in the context of this panpsychist framework, seeing if it you know, helps shed light on, on this bizarre empirical finding. So, you know, as I say, I think we need to realize that at least at this stage, you know, when science is uncertain, you need the philosophers. You need both the scientists and the philosophers. It's a little bit like quantum mechanics at the moment, I think. The, the science is very solid. The equations are very solid, but how we interpret them is, is very contentious. So I think, you know, where there's contentious uh, an area, I think, especially in the case of consciousness, we need the scientists and the philosophers coming together to, to lay the foundations for a new approach. You know, so if just from doing the neuroscience, I think we just get correlations. That isn't the theory. We need to bring that together with a philosophical framework to get to a plausible, explanatory, and empirically supported theory of consciousness. And that's what we're already starting to see happening. So this is part of what I'm writing the book to try and 
get these ideas out to a broader audience so as a scientific community we can start just getting on with working out the details of this theory. Maybe to close then, do you feel that these ideas are now starting to gain traction and what do you think it's going to take to get more people on board? Very much. I mean, I think panpsychism has been a new, a newfound interest to it, partly because of the philosophical ideas I've been talking about, partly because of the the integrated, the success of the integrated information theory, which has some panpsychist implications, arguably. So I think from both these sources, we're finding a newfound interest in this topic, and as I say, we're finding scientists and philosophers coming together to try a new approach. You know, we've been trying for over a hundred years now to try and explain consciousness in terms of utterly non-conscious processes in the brain and and we've got precisely nowhere well we know we've made a lot of progress putting together the correlations incredible progress but in terms of explanation in terms of trying to actually explain how consciousness arises from the brain i don't think anyone's yet made progress so i think it's really time for a for a new approach and and i think it's already happening and it's already making progress we were just speaking with Dr. Philip Goff. He's the author of Galileo's Error, Foundations for a New Science of Consciousness. And Dr. Goff, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. It's been very, very enjoyable. Thank you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.